for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. On today's episode of Blue Collar Elk Hunting, the elk bros are still out in the mountains, y'all, chasing elk, and we're getting some incredible content to share. But since we're not back, what we're going to do is we're going to share a collaborative show that I pre-recorded with David Brooks of the Don't Be Mediocre podcast. David and I talk elk and elk hunting. We talk scouting for elk, comparing e-scouting versus boots on the ground. And I also talk about what I look for when scouting and finding my focus areas and how I'm not focused on finding bulls while scouting. From there, our conversation goes to hunting scenarios and some of the strategies I use and how some of those strategies came about. There's a lot of information in this one, y'all. So pull up a chair. Adjust your volume just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Welcome to the Delphi Mediocre Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Brooks. This episode, I get to speak with a legend in the elk hunting community, one of the founding members of the Elk Bros and co-host of the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast, Mr. Joe Giglio. So guess what we're going to talk about, because it's less than two months away. Preseason elk scouting, different tactics Joe uses on the multiple bulls he's encountered. So we're going to talk elk hunting, because we all love it. So, let's meet Joe Giglio, Elk Bro.
morning. Joe Gilio, right? Gilio or Gilio? Yep. It's Gilia, man. It's Gilia. Gilia. Yeah. Oh, where's, Gilia. The, where's the A come from? The O. So it, it's, you know, those Italians mess, mess with you. So the, you know, the first one was like a J sound and the second one is silent. So it looks like it, it would be Gilia, you know, so. See, si, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like Jack. Mi parlo, mi parlo yeah. italiano un po'. I, uh, mi abro in la Vicenza d'Italia. Yeah, yeah. Spaghetti, ravioli, rigatoni. Yeah, yeah. I lived in I live I live in Chantilly. I speak Italian just a little bit. I took it in college, so you know yeah. that's what's so funny is is you know my wife is Hispanic. I've lived in New Mexico since 1980. I speak way more Spanish than any Italian man. <laughs> you know it's funny you mention that because my ex-wife was from Mexico City, uh-huh. and but she's been in the states for like 30 years almost. Mm-hmm. But when her family would come, you know they're coming from Mexico and they don't speak English. So I'd always tell her, could you help me out here? Just kind of, cause I can pick up words. I can pick up certain, right. cause there's similarities between Italian and, and, and Spanish. So I can pick up the general gist of what they're speaking about. But man, when they get going, you're just kind of like, I hear, Pero? so I know they're saying, but about something and that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah she, and she would never do that. And my stepdaughter, she would always say, I'll do it for you. No. You know, but, you uh, let me tell you something uh, that, that I'm going to throw out there right away is that I really think people in your situation or in my situation that when you're around people that speak another language that you don't grasp everything, you learn so much more about body language and about expressions and about how people stand, act and stuff like that, that I actually think applies to other things we do, like even out in the Elkwoods, man, like the behaviors of animals. But yeah, no, I went through the same thing, you know, and uh, it's like, Okay, you can tell if they're mad, angry, want you to eat, go to bed, you know, get the heck out of here. It's <laughs> just yes. by, by yeah. that body language. Yeah. I thank God, though, for uh, uh, Google Translator. If so I was that wasn't around during my, you know. Yeah, see, I had that. I was lucky because I would just bust it out and I, I would just say something or type it and then show it to her parents and then they would do the same thing. It, you know, it was kind of archaic, but I could, like I said, I could, I could. And I hate people when I was in, when I was in, so I was in Vicenza for, uh, that's, I was 173rd airborne uh-huh. um, and they were in Vicenza. And there were so many guys there that refused. Fuck that. I'm not going to learn to speak Italian. Why dude, you're in a new place. You may not be here again. Why not just go out and mingle and, and yeah. enjoy. Don't, don't be a dumb American. Why do you think Europeans hate us when you have attitudes like that? You know, and I'm, I'm just like just the opposite because my wife and I have taken a couple of cruises and uh, that's the thing you get to do when you retire. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, they have all these excursions and stuff. And what we would do is we basically go out and if we did do an excursion, we get to know either the person that was running the excursion or some, some of the locals there. And we we're like, mind if we tag along? And we'd head off into, you know, the rest of the area where the tourists don't really go, man, and, and really get a feel and some incredible food, incredible people, yeah. and just exploring, man. I mean, I, I always like going off the path. It's just built in that way. I, I'm the exact same way. And speaking of off the path, by the way, this is Elk Bros, Joe Gilia. So we're going to talk some uh, precinct scouting. We talked about this a little bit earlier in uh, e-scouting and boots on the ground and 
that's partly why I'm happy to be in Montana because I can actually go from looking at my computer and just hoping that I, when I get there, I'm going to find out to now I can look at spots and then boom, I'll take my dogs. I'll go, I'll do a hiking elk scouting trip. It's, you know, kill two birds, one stone. So especially now summertime, you know, and it's really hot. Like, I don't know. I'm sure it is in New Mexico, but everyone here is saying that it's abnormally hot for Montana summer. And we've had a few fires, smoke in there. So how, it's dry, you know, not a lot of rain. So what are you what are you looking for as far as so you go out mid July scouting for elk? What do you what's your, what's your game plan? You know, it, it it depends a lot, man, because you know, when you're comparing Montana to New Mexico, I would usually think we're in a flip case scenario. So I'm I'm thinking you guys would be moister, wetter than we are, that we're in that dry because we have this seasonal thing of monsoons everybody waits for the monsoons to hit and our you know um i was just up in colorado and the rain there that hit me and and i know they get monsoons as well but it was so different it was just like clouding up next thing you know it's just like nice easy rain it wasn't like the pounding thunder and everything that i'm used to because when we get the monsoons they come in and buddy i mean it's like heck hath no fury man for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then you're done. And then the sun comes out and everything warms up again. But, you you know, we get that moisture and then we're dealing with the heat. Whereas I hear, you know, a lot of these other places are generally wetter than what we are and have more moisture. You guys have better rivers. You got more creeks running. You got, you know, all of that happening. It just seems like it's flipped this year because, Dave, this has been the wettest June in our area of New Mexico here in northern New Mexico has been the wettest June I can in 30 years that I ever remember. I mean, I have a lawn. (laughs) I I don't. (laughs) My God. Yeah. And it's like, man, I, um, we took a trip to Boston. We were, we were off the grid here for a while and, uh, we went to Boston and we were gone 10 days. The yard had been mowed and, and I have two acres here in, in New Mexico and, and, uh, I call it a yard, but it's more like the natural stuff that grows up, except for what's in front of my house. But everything was mowed down. We came back, dude, and it was a jungle in 10 days. Unbelievable. So the growth that we've had has been great. It's, it's been fantastic. Where I keep hearing now everybody north of us, Montana, Idaho, you know, Washington, man, I mean, it's you guys have been dealing with 100 degrees days you know i I saw seattle washington at like 107 110 the other day and i'm like holy crap and what what happened here you know so to to get to your question that's something i've had to deal with a lot so when it's hot and dry you know and i'm doing my scouting and my scouting is different than most people i mean uh on instagram you can go there and you're going to see all kinds of, you know, everybody has cams out. They're seeing mm-hmm. holes that, you know, that are coming into watering holes or wherever they have them out. And and it's great. It's really cool. Um, but I have never owned a game cam. I still don't own a game cam. And when I'm Can, scouting, I'm looking for things a little bit different. The, the first thing, and, and I'm going to deal with scouting here at home. And I just got done with the Colorado trip. So then I'll get to scouting out of state. But here at home, when I go out, 
uh, dude, I'm looking for where the feed is. Um, I'm looking for where cow tracks are. I'm, I'm looking for cow elk. I could care less where the bulls are. Uh, That's what I, you know, sorry to interrupt. That's, you know, you mentioned the cameras and everyone's got the picture of their bulls and stuff, but they're not going to be there come September. They're going to be yes and no where the cows where the cow yeah but yeah it just makes more sense find out where the ladies are because that's where the boys will be yeah because it kind of depends in some places because you know i have a tendency to just talk northern new mexico but when you start to regionalize out in different places you know you get um you get to arizona water is water so the bulls and the cows are going to need it right and then you have some areas where they have such mild winters that the bulls don't necessarily travel that far away to get into holes or they might not have the same type of deep canyons for them to dive into. And, you know, like I, I've scouted here uh, in an area near my house a couple hours away. And when I would go in, I'm finding the cow tracks and I'm finding the feed and I'm doing this, but man, I was bumping into bulls and I was like, wow, man, they just really never left out for some reason. So and, and that has to do with food source, has to do with water source, it has to do with pressure, a lot of different things, you know, to cause them to do that. They're going to bachelor up. And on the ranch where I guide, and I have, I'm really fortunate because I get to see so much elk behavior because I'm, I'm hunting myself, you know, at the beginning of September. Then I begin guiding after that, and I'm guiding into December. So I see all of the full circle of where these bulls move and how they move. And, and I've seen where bulls, where their summer location is going to change and they're going to travel 15, 20 miles sometimes uh, or vacate that area to go out and find cows. And then you come back in, you know, uh, uh, November, later November, they're coming back down to a lot of those haunts that, you found them in before so they kind of do a little rotation but for me in that hot and dry man I, i'm i'm looking for water i'm looking for best feed at the time and if you're going to find water you're going to find best feed you know um but we have we have these rotations of crops to what i call elk crops in new mexico so if we get pinon pine cones if we get pinon growing or if we get juniper berries growing, if we get an acorn crop growing, that is a huge focus area for any of those. And I think it was two years ago, we had like the trifecta, we had pinon nuts, we had um, acorns and we had junipers. I mean, it was just like an incredible feed year for those elk. And if you focus in those areas, you were gonna find them there. And a lot of times, they wouldn't even leave out of some of those areas to bed. A lot of times they would just bed in the middle of that while everybody's chasing up on the ridges and looking for them in those other areas. As long as they could have enough cover to get thermal regulation or if it, if the days weren't that hot, they would just stick in some of those thick feed areas and just bed down, get up and feed, man, and had nothing to worry about. <clears throat> I mean, that's the one nice thing is there's a lot of springs around here. So there's a good flow in the streams and the creeks, but the the standstill water, like lakes and stuff are really, they're still there, but they're low. But 
just the rainfall, you know what I'm used to, but I found some, like you said, I found, I mean, I'm, I'm pre- presuming at the elevation, probably cows uh, droppings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the tallest peaks where I am around here, are eight, maybe 9,000 feet. So yeah. I don't know if the bulls or nose or they're farther south or where there's higher peaks where it's because I was up at Big Sky last weekend for the Total Archer Challenge and so that was eight thousand or so those peaks and yeah, I think I think in your area and to talk about that is remember it's they're slaves to their belly man it's all about the feet especially sure. the cows man and if if you have and what happens when it's warm like that is you guys have that early snow melt so usually what was happening was elk would kind of follow the snow line well you have that early snow melt so i think a lot of these elk are going to kind of hang in some of those summer areas a little bit longer because i i think some of these other places are just so hot and dry out there that uh, i think they're going to feed more in some of those places they might have vacated you know previously so um yeah it and the other thing is too when when you're when you're talking about hot and dry, you do have a lot of rivers and you have a lot of creeks. Whereas like you take Southern New Mexico and Arizona where they're having to put out tanks and different things like that. Well, shoot, you can put a game cam on those tanks or um, on those dirt ponds. And man, you can get some great images of, of bulls coming in, cows coming in. And, and so guys are going, well, Joe, you say, you know, you know, look for the cows, cows are coming in this pond. So this is going to be the place to hunt. The only problem with that is that water is so finite that uh, it's the only sources and they're so easy to identify and find and hunters find them, mark them, share those places, waypoints so that everybody knows where those water holes are that we, we actually force those critters out of there we're focusing people are sitting on water holes or they're spreading scent around they're you know staying there on them now i'm not saying that you can't kill an elk that's going to come into that but a lot of those what happens now is they're they change their behavior and they're actually watering at night and they're already out of those areas you know when most people are sitting them i've i've taken 36 elk on state land in the last 38 years, Dave, and I have never killed one over water. And it's not that I haven't sat it. You know, it's not that, I mean, it's a great evening hunt. And especially when you're, you've been busting butt and, and it's right before that hump day or around that hump day, that third day of the hunt, when your body needs to recover and you don't want to just spend time in camp, well, sit in water if it's, you know, showing good sign and stuff like that, it, it's a great option. But I, I want people to realize that in some of those arid places that those elk will change their behavior because of the people that are doing that. So the locations that you want to look then is you can kind of look at where water is and you can kind of get an idea about two to three miles away from that and look for those places where those animals might bed. And that's going to be your best bet because that's where you're going to find them most during the day. And then they're going to go and water at night. So that's kind of an arid type thing, right? Um, but your situation where you have a lot of creeks and rivers, you know, because they don't need that. They don't need those lakes that are going down. They just need those springs, those creeks and those rivers, right? So 
for you. Um, and again, I've never been to Montana, right? So, uh, I mean, I've been to Wyoming and I've seen, it's just incredible rivers and incredible creeks, the water's everywhere. So for me there, it's more, it's more, especially if you guys are going to have a hot September is, you know, where is that quality feed? You know, where is it staying moist that they're going to have that quality feed? What kind of growths are happening there? Because elk are opportunists. There are going to be certain flowers and, and plants that are going to come up at certain times of the year that they're going to focus their feed on. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at where are those places that they can still have great cover for their thermal regulation, especially now with it being hot and yet be close enough to that food source. Water's not going to be an issue. I, I think, I really think focusing on the food, especially in a dry year where they can get some quality grass is going to be real, real key. That's where my focus would be anyway. And so I would start hitting areas and I, and I don't care if you're on a trail, uh, a national forest trail. I don't care if it's a two track back in the woods. I don't care if it's an ATV trail. I would be on those puppies as much as possible looking for track and sign of where those animals are at that point in time, you know, and, and I'm looking for where the cows are. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Jason Phelps, I had him on last week and he said, or two weeks ago, no, last week. Yeah. He said the same thing. Cows or where it's at. And it just, you know, as the more I get into this, I see guys, it's cool seeing, like you said, the trail camera pictures on Instagram of the bulls, but it just doesn't seem for the most part that they wouldn't be there. And why not focus your attention on finding where the girls, are? I mean, it's like go to a bar. Do you want to be in a bar where there's a bunch of dudes? Not me. You know, I'm a single guy, you know, ladies night, and unfortunately brings out all the guys and it's just like, I want to be where the girls are. Yeah. And so, and, yeah, and, I, I don't think it changes no matter what your species is for a male. It's yeah. all about the ladies. No, absolutely. You know, it's funny. And, and I, I try not to do it too much because I think I get in trouble with my wife when I start talking about it. But, you know, um, there's a lot of similar behaviors between humans and and elk, a, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, that's why I think people are able to humanize a lot of their actions, you know, is a, a lot of times, but you no, know, you're exactly right. I have actually seen that bachelor groups, you know, you see that you find those bachelor groups that are all together. And I have seen those bachelor groups move from one area and get closer and closer to those cows. And, I've actually seen, you know, what happens a lot of times is, is because, you know, everybody talks about you have early season, right? You have pre-rut, you have rut, and you have post-rut. You always hear everybody talk about that. But you have what I call that rut staging phase that's between that, that's that pre-rut to rut, you know, where now those bachelor groups are transitioning. Those older guys are splitting off because it's not their first rodeo. They know that these young bucks, what's on their mind and they're not that smart and they split off. And then they let in that rut transition phase in that staging phase, they let those young guys go and start, you know, feeling their oats and gathering up cows and doing all the work. It's kind of like being a rustler. That's, that's what I, I, I think old bulls are rustlers, dude. They let, they let the young cowboys do all the work and then when it's time to 
you know, to, to get the payday, they go in, swoop in, take them and Hey, here we go. Work, hard, work harder, not smart or work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Not hard. Absolutely. Man. It ain't their first rodeo. <laughs> When do you, when do you typically like on average, is there a certain time when you think that that pre rut stage yeah. usually so, happens? Yeah. So you're, you're looking from, um, I think from September and it could be first or second to, I would say about the 15th, 16th, right in there. Um, I think that's when that staging is happening and those, and those younger guys are doing that. And, and then by, you know, um, once you're starting to hit that equinox and those cows start to come in heat, I think that's, you're going to have some that are going to sporadically come in heat, you know, early on, but then you're going to hit that time when more of those cows are coming in and those bulls are just going to go down and take the herd. And then they're going to start tending the herd and they're going to push those young guys out. But even in that rut staging period, there's a lot of those bachelors of those younger bachelors, two, three of them, especially from September 1st till like the eighth or so, you can really find a lot of those bachelors still together. And they, they still aren't sure about, and they don't have enough, in them or the testosterone levels, not at the point where they're starting to gather the cows, or you'll find one of those young raghorns that finds one cow with a calf and just follows them around <laughs> everywhere. You know, like, Hey, I got me a herd, man. I'm the man. Yeah, look <laughs> you know? at me. Yeah. You. <laughs> and he hey, does not want to lose that cow. Um, oh, where was my thought process here? So do you think it's like I had Brian Barney, you know, Brian Barney from Eastman's. He's a, he's a spot. He's out of Ennis, Montana. He's on here early spring. Anyways, he doesn't like to call. He's like, cause he's after herd bulls. Right. And, 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 you know, as we all know, they're one of the probably most difficult creatures to call in, you know, let me see. I got 50 girls and one of theirs trying to call me away. Um, no, I, you come to me. So, He's all about, you know, spotting and stalking because he realizes that's pretty much the not, you know, probably his chances are better of getting a hurt bull mm-hmm. than opposed to trying to call him in. Is it do you change it up? Do you, if you are, you know, there's a hurt bull, do you continue to try and call him or do you do a team call or do you or do you do a spot and stalk? Have you done it all? I, I've, I've done all the above you do what works in the moment. I mean, elk hunting is so dynamic and you read the situation, you know, I've, I've actually been able to use decoys to some success with it. Um, I use spot and stock with some success. I've been able to, to, um, get in between a herd bull and his cows and had success doing that. Uh, I've, uh, been able to pull cows to me and had the bull follow them and had success doing that. Um, I've had it where, you know, the situation was really, really perfect where the cows are doing their thing and this guy's trashing a, a tree, you know, and I mean, that is prime time run up and shoot that booger, man, because he's occupied. And uh, I mean, there's every time you get in a situation, there's something a little bit different. And I've also had success getting right in, I mean, in the bubble on the cows, man, and pulling that guy, you know, having that fight or flight, you know, and, and the hard part about that is if you get the flight, 
well, you're screwed and you're chasing them for another half mile. But if you get that fight, man, you get immediate awards. So um, I, I would like to get in close to his cows on the opposite side of where he is, if possible. Not so much so that you don't want the bull between you and the cows because now it's easy for him you know, he's got his cows. He knows where it's easy for him to push them in the other direction. But if you're on the opposite, if you can get it to happen because of the wind that's going on and you can either be on the side up above or in, you know, on the opposite side of that bull. And then you throw out a lip ball in there, like, Hey ladies, I'm, you know, I'm working you and start throwing some glunks and things like you're working one of those hot cows, dude. And you are in tight like that that son of a gun has to either put up or shut up. So I think a lot of it, it's about when you are calling, it's really huge about proximity, you know, about how tight you in, where you're located at and understanding how that bull has to react with that. And you're better off sticking with bull sounds when you come in close to those cows like that, because the cows, if you throw out a cow sound and the cows are like, who in the heck is that? You're liable to blow it because the cows are going to blow up on you. I, I had, and I've, I've talked about this before, Dave, where I had a prime situation, man. It was perfect. It, I had a large herd bull. His cows were bedded. I belly crawled up and I was within probably 40 yards of the cows. Bull, cows are to my right, bull to my left. And it was the prime situation where had I been intelligent but no joe Gillia has to call everything in man it's like right. you know I, i'm in position i'm gonna throw out a cow call and that son of a gun's gonna go oh there's a cow over there and come over to me and i'm gonna kill him right i get up that tight i throw out a cow call everything jumps up and everything runs away i mean it was like because it was it wasn't part of the natural environment of their situation you know, you have a cow call coming out of a bush that you don't see a cow. There's a cow that all of a sudden appeared that never announced coming in. You never heard that cow working in. And so here's like, and it's a voice that we've never heard out of there. So it, it just blew up the whole situation when had I been like your buddy you were talking about and just waited there, all it was going to do is take some patience and that bull was eventually going to get up and come over just to check the ladies and do a little um, scent you know, uh, scent check around them and stuff like that. It would have been the perfect situation. It was the perfect situation. And I was the perfect idiot at the time. So, you know, you learn from it, man. Everything's a Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. It's trial and error. Okay. Well, I learned this time that that's not going to work next time. So, so it's a, it's a matter of, you said proximity. So how would you call like, Calling cows in, I've never tried. I mean, because I always use, I used to, I typically use cow calls, you know, depending. I'll throw in, I'll throw in bugles. Again, it's a situational dependent what I'm getting, you know, response from. How do, you, how do you know when to call in uh, cows like turkey hunting? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, man. I've got uh, my phone going off here. <laughs> I apologize okay. for that. That's no, okay. Yeah. And I'm going to silence this thing so I don't have to worry about it. Ringer. Because, like with turkey hunting, 
sometimes you can use uh i've i've drawn in hens because i'll have a tom with a flock of hens and i'll start key keying you know right. doing that lost young bird call and i've called hens in and then i've guessed who's going to follow is that yeah. same situation where you start doing like a lost calf or something no, to draw those so, cows uh i apologize for the interruption there but no, no you, there, there's 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 things that you're going to use that are weaknesses to elk. They're social animals, they're herd animals. So you're either gonna to go to their breeding instinct, you're gonna to go to their herd instinct, or you're gonna to go to their maternal paternal instincts, right? Um, paternal, you don't get a whole lot out of that because those guys are, you know, they're there and then they're gone, right? Um, I've heard people say that when you do a calf call that the bull's coming in because that's a younger cow and a breeding opportunity. I totally don't believe that. I, uh, I, I think they're coming in because when they hear a calf that is, that's bleeding or, or doing a, uh, a lost cow, I mean, a lost calf call that, um, they see that as an opportunity that that's a cow magnet. There's going to be a cow coming into that calf and it might be a, a cow that's not part of the current harem. That's why that, that calf is running around like that. Um, but the advantage about using a calf call is that um, it's just like if you were to have a kid lost in Walmart crying, you know how many women would go to that man and try right. to help that little kid? And it's the same thing. I mean, all of them take care of those calves, the aunt, the, aunt, the grandma, the cousin, the next door neighbor. When they hear that there's an issue, they're going to go to it. So uh, yeah, I think you can actually pull cows off with that maternal instinct and, you know, using that calf call. I think that works very, very well. Now, again, there's another thing okay. that I use, though, too. And I've, I've done it two different ways. Is that, remember, the cows choose the bull they're going to breed with. If you sound like a bigger, more mature bull than the bull that they're currently with, you can start pulling those cows off. I've, I've actually done that. And so now that bull has to make a choice as well because his cows are starting to come to you. And I've done it where I've made it sound like a herd bull with my own group of cows that I'm tending and I'm moving with. Uh, and uh, Or you can just do it just sounding like just a, a big nasty bull that you're trying to demonstrate your dominance to those cow elk and pull them over to you. And then he's got to either answer the call or not. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. 
Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. So that's a, again, that's a proximity thing. So yep. does that, you mentioned glunks. And so do you, I guess, turn up the aggressiveness as far as, like not just bugle, but now you're throwing in the glunks and maybe some growls and some moans and, you know, some, some huffing. And cause yeah. it, it's, it just seemed, I don't, I've never had seen that experience, but it just seems like when they're close in proximity, you'd hear those more like, and, and growls. Cause it's like, man, what the, you, you, you I, I want to go right now. Now I maybe throw in a challenge bugle, but it seems the glunking and the growls and the lip balls, those really, yeah. So I'm like, you know, kind of like, Ur. I don't want to throw in a challenge bugle. I mean, it, that, that, that doesn't fit the scenario that you're doing there. You're, you're, you're basically a frustrated bull that wants to breed, man. And you're not, you're not engaging with anybody else around you. You could care less about another bull coming in unless he comes in and starts getting into your proximity and you got to warn him off. So to go ahead and mix a challenge bugle in when you're doing those pants and you're, you're doing the whines and huffs and, and uh, the glunking, it's just out of, it's out of the storyline, basically. So when you are doing those, and, and I think a person can get away, glunks are so effective and so many people don't use glunking. And whenever any bull hears a bull glunking, they know that bull's tending a cow, you know, there. So that is an immediate, an attraction right there. So if I'm in proximity and I have a herd bull on the other side of these cows. And all of a sudden he starts hearing this glunking. And even though you think it's a quiet noise, you know, these guys have radars for ears, man. Yeah. And you might not think he's hearing it. You start glunking on that other side and it, it's not hard to glunk. You know, all you, you just have to you just take, yeah, you, you just take, take your tube. Yeah. And you just. Yeah. I've done it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's an, it's like raking a tree, even raking a tree right there. That's you displaying for those cows. If he was to hear that raking going on on the other side of his herd, he has no idea other than you're not displaying to him, you're displaying to his cows, right? So, you know, the simple things, I, I hear guys go all the time, I, I don't know how to call. Well, can you go, oh, oh, oh. I mean, you can do that with your voice, man. And can, you know, you can grab a tube and you can, 
you can glunk with it real easy, get a stick. And I mean, raking is especially not, I think, especially in that rut staging period, I think it's even more effective, but you know, bull here's that displaying on the other side. You're not challenging him. You're not screaming at him. You're not the, you know, the, the flies that have been buzzing him and following him all this time, you know? Um, and that's the thing that like, when you talked about, you know, cow calling or, you know, giving a bull call out there around on this herd bull and the difficulty and the difficulty is, is you're just part of the white noise that he's been dealing with all this time. Again, you're right. Why is he going to leave cows to go to a cow? You know, unless, unless he has those cows bedded, knows where they're at and thinks that there's another hot cow in the area. Now, herd bulls, when they're on the move and herd bulls, when they're bedded are two different animals because now they have everything where they know where it's at. You know, herd bulls, when they're on the move, those cows are taking them somewhere. They're going to a destination. And there's no way you're going to turn that guy off. Now, you might have him in a park first thing in the morning. But again, that's even a worse scenario because he's in a park and you're sounding off. And until he has a visual, he's not going to deal with you at all. So there, there's kind of different things going on there I just wanted to throw out. So calling scenarios, do you ever hunt wallows? Do you, do, you, do you look for wallows specifically or no? Do I look for what? Wallows. wallows. Oh, wallows. Wallows. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It just seems like every time you find a wallow, it's like a nugget. And again, it depends on what's happening with the variables. If I find a wallow that's near where... I've got a bull bedded, heck yeah, I'm paying attention because that's a golden nugget right there. That is the perfect place for me to set up a scenario. Um, if I have wallows in a transition area from a bedding area to a feed area that I know these animals are working, yes, then that's also a good time. It's a good midday tactic there because you're, you're able to put on a scenario and bring an animal, bring a bull into you with that. But uh, I, you know, I actually like wallows better than I do water sources because it seems like wallows are generally a little more hidden. And it says that these guys are overheated. If you're seeing a whole bunch of them, they're having trouble with bugs, they're having trouble with thermal temp, and they're going to be hitting those to cool off and to get rid of those bugs, you know, uh, and they're going to get water from them at the same time. So I, I think wallows are nuggets that I always like to mark so that if I hear a bull moving from one area to another, that is a great place for me to stage up to bring that bull into me. Now, another thing I wanted to, that just crossed my mind too, Dave, is that I really believe that destination bulls are different in the morning than they are in the evening. I think destination bulls in the morning are getting out of Dodge and getting to that bedding area. Right, I think yeah. bulls in the evening are a lot more relaxed and meandering. I mean, that's why guys hate the moonlight, right? Because they're not going to come out of the trees into the meadows until 10 minutes, 15 minutes before dark, or they're going to come out after dark. 
But meanwhile, they have been moving the whole time from their bedding, going to where they want their nighttime bed to be and taking their time about it. They're not in that rush mode. I can see that. Yeah. <clears throat> I think anytime I've, there was a bull, I was, no, every bull in the morning that I've, I've hunted, they are straight heading up. They're probably already up there. And every time they're bugle, it's just a little farther away and a little farther away until, and then it's just complete silence. So you figure they're in that bedding area or something. But yeah. It seems like they have a destination. I had a bull in Utah came, came out to the meadow and then bugled, got his cows. Next thing you know, they're going down. Then they went down, around, back up, across this one meadow, back down, and then they're going way up. I mean, just every bugle is in a different spot, and the next thing you know, they're way up, hell up here within yeah. minutes, it seemed like, and then well, silence. It, something else that happens with that is you're not able to see it all, but a lot of times, because that bull most of the time is trailing his cows, and he's fending off. He's got stragglers around, and so he's fending off those. And he might have uh, another satellite or a bull that is kind of keeping his attention. But And as he stops to meet that challenge or to respond back to that, his cows are still moving. You know, So then what ends up happening is he turns and takes a jog to get back to the cow. Right, so then yeah. you hear him, he's way far off. And I think that's where a lot of people make a mistake is that when they have morning elk going to a destination, they trail them. And I think that's a huge mistake for a number of reasons. Number one, like I said, sometimes that, that ball, that bull will kind of linger back and then take off, or there's going to be stragglers. There's always like those spikes, or there's going to be those, uh, those satellites or those raghorns that end up as you're trying to shadow or follow them and i don't even think it's shallowing um, shadowing uh i think it's more following you as you're trying to do that you end up getting pinned by a a satellite bull or you get pinned by a spike and that herd is just moving and moving and moving and moving and now to keep up with them it's it's impossible man i think that that's a big mistake i think what most people need to do is is trying to get on the parallel side of those animals and work up trying to listen to where hearing as many cow noises and those bull noises as they are and staying just slightly ahead of that bull and moving parallel with them as much as possible. And you have way better chance of staying with the herd till they get settled in. And the other thing is, is I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're, when you're with elk, everything at the bottom is so much bigger when they're going up and as they start going up all these ridge lines and stuff start to get a little tighter and closer so as you're paralleling those animals a lot of times you end up being on that same level for a call-in opportunity or even I've been doing it and all of a sudden the cows are crossing in front of me and I'm getting a shot opportunity or a call opportunity on a bull because the cows go, he might've lingered back. I move up. I've got a perfect split situation there. So, you know, I think paralleling is the thing. Do not get caught up in that, in that tail end vacuum, man, of trying to follow those guys. That, and I think when you hear that bull, you just get such tunnel vision. Yep. And you think that's the only animal there 
not realize, like you said, there could be those stragglers behind and all the cows up front, you know, but you just hear him and you just boom. And the next thing you know, you spook because you weren't paying attention to the big picture going on around you. All of us, man. I mean, even when you, when you see that bull and you start working in on them, you get that tunnel vision. That's when it's really dangerous because now you got the little, you know, dinks guys walking around and, you know, uh, next thing you know, you're busted. And I have been able, I've, I've done a, used a technique on that, but it's risky, especially if it's a herd bull. If it's not a herd bull, it's, it's a very doable technique. And that is when I've had a bull bust me, uh, where they've got me pegged and that other one's there. And I know they're getting ready to go. I just start screaming, man, a challenge bugles and get all aggressive. And that, then the bull will see that other one running off and think that he just got his butt kicked. Now, if that's a herd bull, you're, you're out of luck. Cause now he's going to, he's going to start pushing his cows. But if it's just another bull that you're working and he sees that, you might have the opportunity to keep him there and to continue working the situation. So I have utilized that in the past and I've had it work for me. I actually got surrounded by four raghorns with another bull that was coming into me. Um, and they busted out because they were circling. And once they caught scent, I just started screaming challenge bugles and stuff like that to make it seem like that's why they were running out. Then speaking of scent, obviously when you're paralleling or following these animals, you want to make sure on the, you're yeah. on the right side of where the wind is going because it's probably going uphill. So yeah, you that, want to that's definitely why make sure. that's that's why it's actually better to parallel than to trail because at some point when you're trailing, those thermals are going to change and start going right up to those critters. Where if you're paralleling and the thermals change, your your scent's going to go up uh ahead of you and not over to the animals so i always tell people you want to be on the um parallel on the downwind side so that you don't have to worry about you know number one your wind taking it to them or the thermals either way do you think it's a um since say majority of like you said most of the cows probably ahead of a meandering up the hill and he's kind of hanging back and then he'll run up a little bit. Do you think that's a good opportunity too to use, try and get in close and use some cow calls, sound like you're a hot cow ready to go? And, you know, because he, he, what's this cow behind me? She's off to the side. Why isn't she with the rest of them? It can in the right opportunity. Like I said, I've actually done that. Um, I, and it was, it was a situation, thick cover. So it was really hard for that bull to keep track of all of his cows. So when a bull's not able to keep track of his cows, what's he going to do? He's going to advertise, man, as he's going the whole time, right? So that his cows knows where he's at and, and can keep them in proximity. Well, I had the perfect situation where a bull did just that. There was another bull in tow that was screaming and he would stop and the cows would get a little further away. I'm on the parallel side. I'm in where I can see them. And I lost the bull. I lost him and the cows kept going. So I immediately went forward to split that and gave a cow call and shot him at 10 yards. He ends up coming in, you know, to catch up and end up shooting him at 10 yards. The, the cool thing about that story though, Dave, was 
that situation wasn't what taught me something. It was what happened afterwards because I, I have been hunting for the last 39 years with my lifelong hunting buddy, Leroy Chavis. We're married to sisters. Um, he's my brother-in-law basically. And um, he's more my brother though <laughs> than any brother-in-law. And uh, Chav, when we got into this group of elk, because it was so thick and because there were so many bulls talking, I ended up paralleling a little further ahead. He ended up going a different direction to get on another bull. So I end up with the perfect situation, kill this bull. The bull drops right in front of me. And I'm like, okay, I need Chav to help me work this animal and pack it out. So I have um, a signature bugle. It's a double bugle that I do. So it, uh, it sounds something like this. So I'll do that. And it, it almost sounds like one bull cutting off another. Well, I just did it as a signature so that whenever I was calling and me and Chad were split up, because doggone that, that booger would end up going to other areas thinking a bull was me or he would end up coming to me thinking I was a bull. So I started using that double bugle every now and then so that he could identify it was me. And so it became kind of like a signature call that he recognized. Well, after I get this bull down, I start screaming that double bugle telling Chav basically, dude, come here, man. So I am screaming double bugles obnoxiously. I mean, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then I start working the bull a little bit. And then I start double bugling over and over and over and go back to work the bull. Dave, by the time Chav got to me, I called in four other bulls. I thought you were going to say you called a bull in for him that was like hung up for him. Had he been there with me? Uh, you would have gotten he, one. He would have killed a bull because just that bull cutting off that other bull, you know, um, sounding like these bulls really engaged in this brought in four other bulls before he got to me. So that was something that really registered and became part of my thinking set and part of my strategy and understanding of how to put on a show to bring elk in, how to disengage from your target animal. We always, everybody always engages with the target animal. They hear a, you know, they give their location bugle and they get a response. And the first thing they do, man, is, I mean, they engage that animal. And I discovered that there's ways of calling elk by being disengaged with them. And they actually will come in more confident. They'll come in straighter. Uh, in other words, they don't do all that scent check stuff because it's, it's not that same old rodeo. They haven't, you know, you're people also forget, like you talked about how you get that tunnel vision. Well, we get tunnel thoughts too. We think that every time we call in a bull, we're the only person that's ever called him in, right? Yeah. And, that's what and, I was just thinking. Because, yeah. uh, like, for example, it's not exactly similar, but in upstate New York, as you know, like, right before gun season starts and you're bow hunting, all of a sudden the woods just boom. You know, people start sighting their weapons and stuff. There's, there's got to be some way those animals can associate those all of a sudden the, the – the, the time of year and all of a sudden they start hearing a bunch of booms 
you know, and then next day there's tons of human scent in the woods. It's gotta be similar to that, you know, like you said, most guys, they're going to hear that people are going to throw out a channel or a location beagle. They're going to mm-hmm. get a response back and they'll probably go, you know, you know, get a little more aggressive. And yeah, there's, like you said, they'll get the tunnel. Okay. Now my next step is to, to throw an aggressive bugle at him after finding him location bugle and then get a little closer and then throw a challenge bugle once he bugles back. And yeah, yeah well, so. and it's, it's the same MO though, too. I mean, we, we don't know how many times, those bulls have been conditioned because they've actually come in a couple of times and they spotted a hunter or, you know, and so they're like, Whoa. And and they start connecting that. And that's where they start getting more cautious and they start doing the circling, you know, to get downwind and stuff like that. So yeah, we, we always think that when we're calling a bull that, you know, we're, we're the first person that it's, it's like when you're walking around in the mountains and you, and you, and you're like, man, I bet I'm standing where no human being has ever stood before, you know? Mm. And then you look over to your right and there's a beer can. (laughs) I know. I think the same thing. Yeah. Like the the thing I thought I was thinking about was like, who who was here like hundreds of years, thousands of years ago? Who walked this? I was thinking about that. And and we get minded minded like that with the elk sometimes. We don't realize that if we're doing the same thing that other people are, these guys are conditioned to that and they're going to be cautious about that. So you have to find different ways to do it, you know, and, and be just a little bit different out there. Yeah. And the animals are too. There's a bull when I hunted here in Montana, I called him chuckles because that's all he did. And he called like, no matter what you threw at him, just chuckle. I can't do it in my mouth, but just a chuckle. That's all I did. It was chuckle back. And yeah. Yeah, every single time. So I called him Chuckles because I knew who it was. And he was, you know, he wouldn't come in, but he obviously had towels and it was morning, like you said, and he's heading uphill. He's He's got his destination. But every single response from him was a chuckle. But what then state I've had, was that? What? What state was that? That was in Montana. In that Montana. was my first, uh, yeah, that was my first time hunting here. And this bull, at, uh, that's all he did was chuckle. Is, are there the in that area you were hunting, were there wolves or grizz? In there that? are, you know what there actually are? Cause uh, the biologist that I got in touch with that, like when I started researching Montana, we actually did a podcast together on wolves. Cause that's mainly her thing. And she said like where I was hunting there and I, I found the droppings. And I, I reported it to her. Yeah. She says there's a pack out there. And then, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that had something to do with it, but yeah, that area does. actually has a pack of wolves. Yeah. I, I think those elk learn you know, not to bugle if they're going to bring in, you know, a, a bear or a wolf to them. And I think a chuckle is, uh, it's more low guttural, but it's a way of communicating that can go a certain distance, but it doesn't sail all the way like that and bring wolves in from a mile away. So, I mean, that, that could just be a, a conditioned response that that bull learned. Well, the funny thing is that, that, that like, so my first evening there, I was in my camp and there was a bull, he started up top. And was like, he was letting everyone know he was there. He was coming down the hill, bugle, bugle, across the road. And then I, I know he was in range somewhere because it wasn't that far from me, but it was kind of dark, dusk, bugle the whole way. And I'm like, where the hell did you come from? I didn't hear him at all until right in the evening. And he was like coming down that hill fast, bugling across the road and headed off. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't. I'm going to try and remain quiet as much 
Montana sucks for hunting. Let me tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible state. The bulls don't bugle at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like steer people away from the state. <laughs> but yeah, my, yeah, I, I, I was rather very happy with, that's why I moved here. Cause I was, you know, it's part of the reason is the hunting. Oh man. Such an end. So we started out this thing talking about scouting and I was telling you about what I do as far as New Mexico goes, but I've had to do for the first time, something I've never done. And that's go scout out a state, you know, to, to really go check out, you know, what's going on in another place. And, um, that, um, and it's funny. We always tell people that when you do e-scouting, that there's still nothing like boots on the ground, if possible. Um. And, and, and look, and I don't mean boots on the ground to go find elk. I think the importance of it is the perspective, you know, yes. put size relationship to what you've been looking at to the reality. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you right there because I had this conversation with a, with a kid from Bozeman at TAC on Saturday. And I was telling him about e-scouting. I said, you know, you go and it's 3D maps and, you know, Google Earth and you can do the 3D and everything. And you look and it's like, you get there. It's like, this looks nothing like what I fucking saw on. It's like tremendous. I mean, you're just like, you're playing out. You're, you know, I'd be playing out routes and I'm going to go this way and that way. And else I'm looking like. There's no fucking way. I'm not, I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you, it looks good on maps and you're right. You get there and the whole perspective, you know, that, that even though it's 3d, it just doesn't do it justice when you get well, there. You're you like, know, on the map, I mean, you look at it there and it's like, Oh, that's just like right there to there. That's close. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. Cause you got to go over this way and it's maybe some almost independent patrol way. You got to find a way around, you know, the blowdowns, all these factors you don't take in. You just think it's a straight path. Point A to point B. Nope. It's point A, B, point A. And then you got to go over to A1. Yeah. And then back to A and then around. It's like, no. Yeah. But it's, so I, yeah, the perspective I, is definitely. I think that's huge, man. I think, I think a scout, and when we talk about scouting trips, most people relate that as, well, I'm going to go find elk, right? And I don't scout like that. Um, what I'm doing when I, when I go and scout is I want to get the lay of the land. I want to get a perspective of the land there. I want to find out, again, you always hear me talk about food sources. I'm going to find water sources. And I, if I am, I, if there are trails and everything, I am traveling them as much as possible looking for elk sign. And I'll start with track and then I will reverse engineer from there. So, and I'm marking all this stuff on my GPS. So you'll start to find out that, oh, I had tracks here, here, here. And you start to see a relationship with how they're moving and you start developing corridors and things like that. But for me, it's more of, and finding holes. I'm looking at what most people would see and what most people would not see from where they're standing. Because you can drive into an area and have a focus and a goal on where you're going. And because of the lay of the land, there's other areas around you that you have no clue exist. And even if you looked on your e-scouting, you've got to be really, really good to recognize areas that other people aren't going to see because of the proximity and how it's placed. And that's the kind of things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the holes. I'm looking for places that end up being hid away. I'm looking for places that, you know, there's, 
there's so many people that are going to hunt on on forest trails, right? They're going to get into the areas. But a lot of times what they don't realize is some of the best hunting is just off to the right, off to the left in areas off of those forest trails. And uh, those are the kind of holes that I want to look for when I'm up there. But I can tell you this, man, I will, just the other day, I'm in Colorado and I'm at 12.2, 12,000 200 feet in elevation and looking around and the terrain was absolutely like nothing I had ever seen in my life and because I was uh, above timberline but I expected it to be like what I've seen above timberline in New Mexico where it's kind of real short grass or it's rocky or something like that it was nothing like that yeah, man. That's fair. It, it, it was I've never been to Alaska but this is how, what I saw is how I envisioned the Alaskan tundra. I mean, there was brush um, that made it very stockable with a lot of very, but I mean, brush that was a good four foot, four and a half foot tall. There were, and in some places it was just that brush up there. And in some places there were a lot of interspersed pine growing up in it that made it look like, I mean, like an Alaskan tundra to me, it was just incredible. And so this now, changes my perspective on well can you stock something above timberline in that area well heck yeah you can if they're up there on it right and i got to see okay um all the snow's gone that says something right now right um what am i seeing as far as sign how is that looking are they are they using above timberline to go through the saddles from one side to the other. Well, they might later on. So I want to know where those saddles are, you know, not finding a lot of sign at 12,000. So let's drop down to 10,000 and see what we're going to find. And it, it, that's how I do my scouting is basically where is the use happening? Where are the possibilities for other use? Once pressure starts happening, where are the holes? Where, how is the water flowing? Is this hike that I thought going into this area as feasible as I thought it was, or is it going to kick my butt, man? And the other thing when you're scouting, like for, for me, I'm not just scouting for myself. You know, we're going in hunting as a group. Our group is various ages, sizes, ability levels. So when I'm scouting, I'm looking for areas that all ability levels are going to have a chance to hunt elk you know we're going to have guys that can dive off into that canyon but we're going to have guys that are going to have to stay more up in this area where the burn is because that's more to their ability level so um, my scouting is not only just going okay there's elk there but can people get to those elk can the guys i have in my group get to those elk because it's not about just me. It's about us being successful as a group. So that comes into play when, when I'm scouting there. You mentioned something earlier about a lot of people hunt the, I found that the majority, I saw a lot in Utah, a lot of ATVs cruising the road and stuff. I found that people tend to be like electricity in the path of least, least resistance. Yep. You know, just like you know, yeah, they'll call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to take the, the easiest route to anywhere to get to point A to point B as well. But when it comes to humans, just, some guys will start thinking, oh, I got to drag the, you know, pack it out and 
you know, that mental game too, that comes into factor. So when you scout, so as opposed to like scouting for, you know, your clients and stuff, they're going to guide how, how for you personally in your group, how often do you put, how much time do you put in preseason scouting? Um, well, I went on a three day, uh, just, uh, well, just uh day before yesterday, I was on a three you day spend, do you scouting trip. Spend the whole time out there? Do you camp out there yeah. too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and in that time I was able to cover, um, three different areas of my plan in that amount of time and actually develop because I ended up crossing one area off. And, and what's so, that's what's so cool about boots on the ground is I really thought the area that I crossed off was going to be the hot area that we were going to spend our most time in. So it was like a kick in the gut when I got there and I was like, Holy crap, man, no, this ain't going to happen. Right. So now I'm like, well, we can't just have plan a, you know, we we got to work on that. So um, that meant we had to go a little bit deeper and go a little different. So I went and started exploring a, another area that would give us another option. And it was so funny that, you know, uh, Cole Wilkes, one of our Elk Bros coaches, he, he was on his way to Utah. He's there, in fact, right now, probably in the calling competition. But uh, Cole met up with me up there and, and, you know, we were divide and conquering areas. So he goes up to another area that I had uh, circled as a possibility. And I went down south, man, a, a whole hour and a half uh, to another area to check it out. And it ended up that that was golden for me. And it ended up the other one was golden for coal. So right now we have three viable areas with each of those areas having multiple plans within that area. So, um, and we're now that means that we're able to go an hour and a half from plan A to be in plan B and we're able to go an hour to be from plan B to plan C in total areas and within those areas we have plans so um, that's all it took for that that was three days but honestly I think I'd like one more run to one area um, just to check roads basically that's all I want to do because I want to change. I want to check the access for the guys getting in, you know, pulling a trailer or something like that. Now, let me tell you about one of those areas, Dave, and you were talking about the path of least resistance. One of these first areas has so much recreation going on. I mean, there's ATV, UTV trails. There's, I mean, the roads in Colorado, I think some of those, back mountain roads or these forest roads are in better shape than the road to my house. I mean, they're just really, really good, man. And, uh, but, and so Cole was like, dude, man, I've never hunted an area with so much access. And basically that's Colorado, you know, unless you go in a wilderness area, a lot of the, there's so much access to a lot of these places Yeah, that that's why I talk to people about, the difference between high-use areas and low-use areas. I think in high-use areas, elk get conditioned to all those razors and and stuff running around out there. And they learn to live within that. Just like you can uh, you can live in Estes Park, man. You have all these elk living in your backyard because they've learned yeah. to live with that. They cross through town through the red lights, you know, because they've learned to live within that. So, um 
it, it doesn't necessarily shy me away um, from an area because if it's conditioned like that, I know that there's still elk in there because the area that I've areas that I've hunted for the last so many years in New Mexico get a lot of conditioning as well with people and we're still able to get the job done. So I think that's just an important thing to bring up is that just because you are in the mountains doesn't mean you're someplace that elk hadn't seen people and quite often. Yeah. It's taking that human factor out and stuff that, you know, you think like, I mean, white-tailed deer do it all the time. White-tailed deer live in freaking urban areas. You wouldn't suspect they're there. And then there's freaking huge bucks right in some people's backyards. They're just, they just learn, like you said, they, they adapt to the situation. That's why they've survived. They know how to survive. That's what it comes down to surviving. Yep. Absolutely, man. Yeah. They, they're very intelligent critters, man. They, uh, you know, that's, that's like human scent. Um, so do you think that those elk in that area with all those ATV trails are not smelling human scent? Right. Well, of course they are. So why haven't they blown out and run away and, you know, um, gone to the next state? Well, they have to live there. They need, you know, food, water, and no matter where they go anymore, they're going to come across in those areas, human scent. So they learn to adapt. Yeah. They know that the ATV sound is coming this way Absolutely. And, go, and all of a sudden it's gone. They just, yeah, they associate that sound with just the, and they don't know what it is. Just like when you, when you see animals, some animals don't even react to a gunshot because they hear that gunshot and it's not, it's like they're almost startled by the sound because they've never, you know, so it's, yeah, we just, yeah, I think it's got a loss to his. But as soon as they start seeing vehicles stop and having gunshots happening. Yeah, they associate that. Then the next time they see a vehicle stop, <laughs> you know, they yeah. might, they might stand there and watch you as long as you're moving, but you stop, they're out of Dodge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just condition them, man. Sweet. Smart critters. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Joe, for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, so yeah. food, water cover as usual, but like for my situation, I got streams and water. So I'm looking for that greener area around the waters. Cause it's pretty dry here right now. So all of us here in these dry Western States focus on, course water but then food's going to be the greener stuff will be near the water and, areas and thermal regulation man those guys got to have you know that too yeah yeah so pay attention to those north facing slopes where they can cool down these hot days and whew, fingers crossed i'm gonna try and get out this even, weekend even so. some of those areas that get deep you know that have a river in them they might even you know it affects their ears a little bit but you know that helps to cool that area up right. on there so they're not going to be where they can't hear but it kind of helps to cool that area so Find those places. If you can go someplace to get out of the heat, <laughs> so could they. Yep. That's the plan. I'm going to try and get out Saturday. I got a call. I was looking on the maps last night. spot I'm going to check out. So, yeah. Awesome, Joe. Thanks for going. Hey, hey. And and so your podcast is Elk Bros. Blue Collar. Blue Collar uh, uh, Elk. Blue Collar Elk Hunting is the podcast. Yep. Um, we've and got then, different styles that we do on that. But just look for Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Um, you can find everything Elk Bros just by going, it's one word, Elk Bros with an S, E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. We have everything Elk Bros there. Um, we've started our Hunting Buddy site, which is a All free that. service for um, guys that are looking for other people to exploring, trying to find people to hunt with, where you can go and put That's profiles cool. on there. Uh, and that way you can help match up profiles. That's on your website. That's on your website, right? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's, it's the Elk Bros hunting buddy. 
Um, you can click on that. We have our uh, Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and our base camp, tra online training camp. Is, uh, that is That is what I have done from all of my years of experience and using my coaching tool set to be able to teach people how to hunt elk. And um, it, uh, it's, a, it's a dream of mine. It's something that I'm very proud of. It's something that's constantly going to be growing and getting better. Um, if we can ever find time from all this other stuff, but, uh, yeah, um, you want to find anything Elk Bros, go to elkbros.com, man. Sweet. And then Elk Bros on all social media platforms. Again, Joe, thank you for Joe Delia from Elk Bros. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate you coming on. You it was great meeting you too. Finally, you know, yeah. I, we would communicate on Facebook or Instagram and it's neat to I've put these. I've always just known you as bugle me this, man. So. Right. And, and, and like last week I got to meet, uh, uh Ben Denabati from Shed Crazy and uh -huh. Jeff Moran, Relentless Hunter. And it's awesome. Whoa, Ben, that dude's a big man. Ben yeah. Denabati, Shed. I, I, I took, I'm like, Hey, holy shit, man. Cause he, he <laughs> Yeah, that too. Talk about perspective. Then when you meet these people in person, it's like, wow, you're a large man. So yeah, yeah. sweet. Then I hope to meet you someday too. I'm sure we will cross paths soon. You betcha, David. Thanks, awesome. Man. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. You have a good day. The elk bro himself. Come on and talk in preseason scouting, elk hunting, everything elk. Thank you, Joe, for coming on. Thank you all for listening. Please like, subscribe to my podcast. On Instagram, you can find me at Don't Be Mediocre underscore podcast. As well as my YouTube channel, Don't Be Mediocre Podcast. You guys have a good day. See y'all.